You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Good morning, Vancouver. Six o'clock on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I'll go around the round table right now. Say good morning to everybody. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Uh, A-Dog, a.k.a. Andy Cole. Good morning. Good morning. And finally, Greg Ballack, a.k.a. Laddie. Good morning, Greg. Hello, hello. Uh, I mentioned that we are coming to you live from the Kintex Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, tell the fine folks a little bit more about Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. That's right. They got them both. Footwear and Orthotics, uh, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, we got a lot to get into on the program today. The Canucks are in action tonight, 7 o'clock at Climate Pledge Arena. Not Climate Change Arena, which is what I called it for a while. Climate Pledge Arena, Seattle Kraken, 7 o'clock. Uh, in advance of that... 6.30 in the morning, so hours, hours in advance. David Amber, Sportsnet NHL host, is going to join us. It is a big night for Canadian teams in the National Hockey League. You've got Edmonton taking on Chicago. You've got Vancouver taking on Seattle. And then a later start, meaning those Easterners will have to stay up real late. Toronto is in San Jose, so we'll talk to David about that, talk about him, talk to him about the current plight of the Vancouver Canucks. 7.30, Jeff Baker. From the Seattle Times, Seattle Kraken beat writer. We will talk to him about this team that got their first win at Climate Pledge the other night against Buffalo. We can also ask him about the future of Shane Wright in Seattle and where the vibe is with this team. You know, one thing I want to ask Jeff is how have they gone about in the very short stint, but uh, building on their footprint within the current sports market because things have gone a little differently for Seattle this year than I think we thought they were going to. The Mariners finally got in the playoffs after 20 years. The Seahawks are considerably better than everybody thought that they would be. Right. There's there's more competition. Is that what you're saying for the little, Kraken this little, year little, in terms of yeah. attention? This yeah. was the year I thought that the Kraken would really take a step forward because you know the Mariners are the Mariners, and the Seahawks didn't look like they were going to be very good. Mm-hmm. And UW, I mean, they started great, but it got flat. So I want to ask Jeff, you know, what kind of presence does this team have in the market, are people furious that it took them so long to get their first win at home? So Jeff Baker at seven thirty is going to join us to preview things from the Kraken side. Eight o'clock, Brendan Bachelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, is going to join us. So the Canucks flew down to Climate Pledge. Insert joke here. Yesterday, uh, they will take on the Kraken tonight at seven. There's a lot of news to get from, to get to. Sorry, from the Canucks. Uh, it was a very busy day with practice and injuries, and then sort of a surprise visit from general manager Patrick Alvin. So there's a lot to get into there. We'll get into it in a second. Uh, Canucks cracking 7 o'clock, a bunch of other NHL games. There's Thursday night football. There's basketball. There's soccer, if you so choose to watch. So there's a lot of sports that we need to get into. But uh, let's recap everything that happened yesterday to tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? Okay, so there were three major things of note yesterday from Canucks practice. Uh, the first 
I guess we'll have to start with the injury front because it is, well, it's front and center again, folks. Before they took to the ice yesterday, they announced that they've got even more injuries on the roster now, further throwing the lines and deep pairings into flux. Welcome to the party, Curtis Lazar. You are undisclosed, but you're going to be out for three to four weeks. Three to four weeks uh, for Curtis Lazar. Uh, one of the few guys, I think, on the Vancouver Canucks who received very little criticism at the start. That's a good uh, way of putting it. In fact, uh, quite a few people liked his game, liked his enthusiasm, certainly. Um, it looked like he was a guy that was a Canucks fan growing up and wanted to play for the team. I can't imagine it's starting any worse from a team perspective for poor Curtis Lazar. Uh, he's going to be out three to four weeks. So that means that Sheldon Drees, Sheldon Drees, 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 whatever. Drees. He's back. He's back on the team, and he's the third-line center now. At least at practice he was, skating between Pearson and Hoaglander. Nils Oman was between Joshua and Pod Colson. So that was the bottom six. Uh, there were other injuries to announce, well, other injury updates to announce, and that is Besser going on to IR, which means he won't be eligible to play until after the next two games Correct. for the Vancouver Canucks since he played last Saturday against Buffalo. Uh, you got to miss at least a week. Keep going. There's so many more injuries to get to. So the top six at practice – was Horvat between Miller and Garland, Pedersen between Kuzmenko and Mikheyev. Uh, the pairings, in case you were wondering, OEL with Myers, Rathbone with Burroughs, Brisebois, yep, he's still still on the Canucks, mm -hmm. with Luke Shen and Noah Juleson was the extra. That's between Quinn Hughes, is still week to week. Uh, the club is hopeful he can return to action next week. So for at least the next two games, that's tonight in Seattle and Friday against Pittsburgh, the Canucks are, are still going to be severely undermanned. Yes. That's pretty much the best way of putting it. Four players on injured reserve, Besser, Lazar, Hughes, and Dermott. One player on long-term injured reserve, Tucker Pullman, and I suppose Michael Furlan as well. And then Riley Stillman, who is on neither, just can't play because he's hurt. I don't know what you call that. Just hurt reserve? Not feeling great? Yeah, so he's just... The I mean, NFG he, list, not he's feeling a, great. He's a scratch for most games. That is correct. But not a not a healthy scratch. So that in and of itself... <laughs> it's actually actually really confusing to yes. keep up with it all. Yes, it is. Like, when are you eligible to play? When are you going to be back? And the Canucks give uh, very limited information on what the actual injuries are. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Bruce Boudreaux was asked yesterday about Besser's injury, and... You know, is this is this the same injury that caused him to miss training camp? Is this it's basically a hand injury, sure, right? Like sure. because he had, according to Andy Cole, major hand surgery. Major. So is, lots of people are saying this, but yeah. You're well, maybe you're more. right. Like it's it's maybe it's hard to recover. Maybe it's not. I don't know because I I don't know. Boudreaux was asked about it and he and he tap danced around. The question, he just, he's just not going to give out any information about these injuries. No. Uh, that was uh, Curtis Lazar, right? Undisclosed injury as well. So, after we got through the infirmary and found out everyone that was, and more specifically wasn't going to be playing, uh, there was an announcement 
that Patrick Alvin, the general manager, was going to meet with the assembled media yesterday, uh, the same day that the team practiced, the same day that the team was about to take off to Seattle to take on the Kraken. So that raised some eyebrows. And I think this was kind of necessary because on Saturday, the president of Hockey Ops, Jim Rutherford, had a uh, very scrutinized, very public, very candid interview on After Hours with Scott Oak and with John Garrett, in which he talked about a multitude of things, including the head coach, Bruce Boudreaux. Now, Alvin had a lot to say yesterday, Jason. There were updates on um, Bo Horvat's contract negotiations. There were talks about the R word, that being rebuild. But what I want to focus on here is the head coach, Bruce Boudreaux, because I feel like that's the biggest issue for both the president of Hockey Ops and general manager right now. They both addressed it in very different ways, but they have a commonality. They have a common theme. They both keep talking about things like practice habits and structure and the style of team and the way that the team plays. And it all seems to go come back to, is Boudreaux the guy that they wanted originally? And does Boudreaux do the things that they want to see out of a head coach? Even uh, Patrick Alvin's comments on Curtis Lazar, I thought were interesting. I mean, there weren't a ton of interesting comments coming from Patrick Alvin because he's Patrick Alvin. He mm-hmm. is not going to say things like Jim Rutherford is going to say. That much we know for sure. But he was talking about Curtis Lazar, like basically talking about his injury. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, yeah, he's been impressed by Curtis Lazar. And he said that you can tell that he came from an organization, the Boston Bruins. Yes. That has a higher standard. Yep. <laughs> like, and I was like, when, when he said that, I was like, "Whoa," you know. And, and he and he's talked about raising the bar here in Vancouver. I think he might have reiterated that yesterday. And it all it's applied to the organization as a whole, but it's a shot at uh, the players and the coaching staff. It's a shot at the organization. It's right? a shot at the organization. <laughs> That's right? what it is. And it just, like, a higher standard means that, you know, you do things more professionally. You, I don't know about care more, but you're just, you have a better way of doing things. And his comments about Bruce Boudreaux, he's kind of asked, like, he, everyone wants, wants him to give, like, this is, this is basically what's happening here. Everyone wants him, wants him to give the, the vote of confidence, right? right? Yep. Rutherford, too, like. And they kind of just talk around it. They, they talk. They like people want to say. People want him to say, "I believe in this head coach. He's my head coach." And he won't say it. You know, none of these guys will say it. They'll say things like, "We're working really hard together here. We're working. We're working close. We're we're trying to find solutions." Well, of course you are, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, of course you are. But do you believe in this head coach? That is the question that they almost won't answer. They just won't. They're like. Uh, he's here because of his contract. Let's go to the audio now. We will play some remarks from the general manager, Patrick Alvin, about his head coach, Bruce Boudreaux. Laddie, we've got two clips here. I know what both sound like. Let's take it away. We'll play one, come back, discuss, and then play the other. Since I got in here last season in January, um, I think, you know, we were so far behind when Bruce came in here. And I think, uh, you know, we, we he had a tremendous start there, and I think he went, 10 and 0 or 9 and 1 uh, and I think team started to take us light um, um, credit, credit to him and the, and the players they find um, a way to enjoy being at the rink they find a way to win games uh, 
but if you look at it, how we played, um, we had a tremendous goaltender. Um, I think Tatch Demko was the best in the league from December to the end. Um, our special teams was really good too. Uh, the five-on-five five needed to be better in order to be uh, a top team in the league. So in that regard, it was something we, we wanted to address uh, going into the season. And uh, uh, part of that was you know, finding more structure and, and uh, uh, structure accountability and, and finding system plays there. So I don't think, again, I think we're a talented team, uh, but we need to get this team um, in this group to play together as a, as, a, as a group and a team. There's just not a lot there from Patrick Alvine's carefully chosen words to Jim Rutherford's, I'd say, more cavalier off-the-cuff responses. There's just not a lot there to suggest that A, Bruce's job is safe, or B, he's their guy and was going to be their guy anywhere beyond last year. The amount of time that those guys referenced last year is sort of those glory halcyon days that are never going to come back. That's to me, is a huge takeaway. Well, he, he also sits there and says that teams started to take us lightly, and we had a great goalie. So does that not take some of the credit away from Bruce Boudreaux? Like, teams yes. took us lightly, mm-hmm. and we had great goaltending. We still needed to play better. So it raises a few questions for me. Number one, again, do you believe in this head coach or is this head coach only the coach because essentially you weren't allowed to fire him and bring in a new coach because that would be paying too many coaches. You still would be paying Travis Green. Uh, I think there was an expense. There was a buyout number for Bruce Boudreaux. It wasn't just a straight option. They couldn't just walk away for nothing, the Canucks. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have to hire another head coach, so that would be you're paying three head coaches. So that's one thing. Number two, if what you saw last season was other teams taking you lightly and a great goaltending performance and you knew that things, especially at five-on-five, needed to be better, better, why did you double down on this group? And that should have been the question. Why did you give JT Miller this massive contract? Why didn't you make some changes? And those should have been the questions that were asked of Patrick Alvin yesterday. If we're being perfectly honest and candid in our own right, why on earth, after saying that, and it jumped out to you and it jumped out to me the moment that we saw it and when we heard it, well, wait a minute. If you already have classified last season as a sort of uh, all these good things happened because or but, and then you had but, a long, but, but, a longer, but, but, but. a longer Everything list, is a but. then you, it, it seems if very, you didn't like the team, yeah, it if seems you thought it was bizarre. lucky. It seems very bizarre that you would double down on the head coach. It seems very bizarre that you would double down on the roster, that you would go out and add forwards, that you wouldn't address the defense. It all seems very strange to me. Strange is the key word here. Because there is, and you know what I think some of it has to do with? There is such a massive disconnect right now between what the general manager and president of Hockey Ops want to see and want to do, and then haven't done, what the head coach is trying to do and how he's trying to exist. Because remember... He's a lame duck head coach just trying to win hockey games. What the players are experiencing, they got to be looking at this whole thing and being, what's going on here? And then there's the media and fans, and I'll lump us all in together. We're sitting here trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Media included. Uh, Laddie, I want to play another audio clip here. This is from Bruce Boudreaux's media availability yesterday. Now, we're going to kick up the sound at the beginning of the clip because Ian McIntyre asks Bruce about structure. And accountability and the things that Rutherford and Alvin have brought up. 
Bruce then quickly replies, well, that's that's only you guys talking about that. That's a media-driven thing. And then iMac quickly snaps back. <laughs> what, are you out of your mind? Actually, Patrick Alvin literally just said it to us in, these, in front of the Assembled Media Scrum. So we'll play the clip right from the start. You can hear the back and forth and then Bruce's uh, response to iMac. I think it's a very interesting tell. We'll play the clip in full, come back and discuss. Since uh, Jim brought up this idea of structure at the end of last season, there's been a lot of discussion since then to now about structure. And it's still gets... Only by you guys. No, it got mentioned by Patrick Alvin as well. Mm -hmm. You know, the team has to play with structure. Is there any difference in how the team is... Like, has the system changed? Well, I mean, I think uh, uh, our support, uh, we do more things in practice about support. And uh, and that's pretty well what we were talking about uh, is instead of being on an island and getting the puck, we're trying to do things as three guys, as five guys, and and coming up the ice together rather than leaving it in one-on-one battle all the time. Uh, Boudreaux then went on to add that they made some wrinkles in their neutral zone as well, and he didn't get down to on his hands and knees and start drawing on the whiteboard to explain right. what it was. But he, the general, he was not very enthusiastic about talking about the potential changes. Though. Yeah. Now here's where you start trying to figure out what's at play here. Either Boudreaux really hasn't made that many tactical adjustments and changes and mm-hmm. style of play and systems, and he's maybe he said he added one or two, and the and the, the biggest difference now is you go back to what Alvin said. All the things that were going right for you last year don't exist anymore. Nobody's taking you lightly. Yeah. Your goalie isn't stealing games. You're still not good at five on five. Oh, and then add on the fact that you've got crippling injuries. And terrible special teams. Like, so did I what mention do you, those? What do you, so there's your answer. It's not one thing that's gone wrong, everybody. It's a multitude of things that have gone wrong. You don't get to oh, 5 and 2 to start the year with just one thing going wrong. Here's a, a series of disconnects. Here's a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line, unsigned. Management has not said one good thing about Bruce. Everything they say has undercurrents of discontent with him. Uh, they have said one good thing about him, and that message has been consistent, that he was the right coach for the Canucks at the time last season. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> and Alvin kind of said that. He's like, you know, good for Bruce for getting the guys to enjoy coming to the rink again. And Rutherford has said that in the past. At that point last season, Bruce Boudreau was good for the Canucks because essentially they needed a hug or something, mm-hmm. something like that. But they have never said that going forward he's the right head coach. And it has always been, yeah, he did a great great job uh, turning around the vibe, essentially, one of Halford's favorite words and something we talk about now a lot right now with the Canucks because – we're constantly wondering, like, are you guys happy? Are you are you happy coming to the rink today? Where are we today? Are we a happy team or are we a sad team? Right? Like right, that's yeah. like I'd hate to be so sarcastic and caustic, but that's what it feels like. Are we are we having fun today, guys, or are we not having fun? Right? Like and Bruce Boudreaux brought some fun. Sure. Last season, and they had some success, and everyone was chanting, Bruce, there it is. And, you know, meanwhile, what it seems like is up in the front office, Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford were sitting there going, they're still not good. Mm-hmm. They're still not a good team. They still don't play with structure. If we didn't have the goaltending that we're getting right now, we'd be in real trouble, which again brings the questions. 
Mm-hmm. Number one, why did you bring the head coach back if you don't believe in this head coach? Yep. Number two, why did you bring this core back? Do you believe in this core or were you just forced to do it? No. Was there nothing out there for you guys to do except add players? On that note, Patrick Alvine, the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, was also yes, asked yesterday about his belief in the core. And he stood by the young players saying that he liked them. Then... He was asked about the rebuild. This was another big moment from Jim Rutherford on Saturday on After Hours when he talked about a rebuild. And again, I'll use the word cavalierly, saying that the way we going, we're going, we might be in a rebuild. And then went on to kind of further extrapolate. And the one line that a lot of people took issue with was when Rutherford said, I don't think fans realize how long a rebuild is. At that point, the rebuild conversation was firmly on the table. It was alive and well. All the national media outlets picked up on it. So it was time for the general manager to talk about a rebuild. Here's what he had to say yesterday when he met with the media. This is Patrick Alvin on a potential rebuild. Well, uh, it's interesting, the rebuild word. I've been part of uh, um, a rebuild. I came in late uh, in a previous organization, and, and uh, we were able to rebuild and, and win three cups. Uh, um, I still think that we're... Uh, we're building something here um, every day. Uh, we're not done. Uh, uh, I think that was something that we want to accomplish this summer too. Uh, uh, changing the culture, raising the bar, uh, having higher standards and, and uh, bringing younger players, character players, and, and making sure we're always looking at the options here. Changing the culture, raising the bar, high, having higher standards. He also talked about those three things as things that they still need to do. Mm-hmm. Not, they haven't like gotten close to it. Well, it, it, one of the reasons is, is because uh, the team is the same. Yes. That's a key part of this, is when you change no parts mm-hmm. to the team, it will largely look the same as the year before. That's analysis, Jason. Again, you're not going to get this anywhere else on Vancouver Talk Radio. But it's, it, the more – it's funny because a lot of people say, well, I, you know, what's the point of even listening to Alvin? He never says anything of interest anyway. Between the last two interviews between the president of Hockey Ops and the general manager, I don't know about you all in listener land, but I have a much clearer idea of what's going on with this team right now. The unfortunate part is that all of it is bad. All of it is bad. There's not one good thing going on right now. And, And my message, one of my messages throughout all this is the fans are starting to dislike their favorite team. Yes. And and I'm not saying that they're gonna never be fans again. It's 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 more like when there's someone that you love that is acting weirdly or acting irresponsibly. I don't know. Maybe parents of teenagers <laughs> are are the Canucks like a teenager right now that you just can't figure out, and you're just like, why are you so moody all the time, and why do you do all these dumb things? The Canucks have locked themselves in the room and are enlisting to Lincoln Park. Well, they can just stay in their room then because, frankly, I don't want them out here for dinner time because, you know, just looking at their their face makes me angry. That's how a lot of people are right now, as the parents, that is. It's true, though. I mean, we talked about this yesterday. When we, I said I don't want to pander, but I feel bad for a lot of people that are invested in this. Mm-hmm. And then ask a lot of people just ask us the questions. They're like, what's wrong with the team? I get all the time right now, right? You know when you start getting the non-hockey people and the non-sports people being like, what's up with those Canucks, Mike? Yeah. 
And then I have to be like, oh, general manager and president of hockey ops. They don't really like the head coach that much. <laughs> but it's there. It's I wanted to do this this morning because every single thing that's going on right now, every imaginable fracture that they can have, they've got. Throw injuries on top of the pile. Like injuries are a fundamental part of why they're 05 and 2. But I feel like they're almost the least of the problems because the bigger issues go so much deeper. And are going to be so much more overwhelming to fix. Like injuries are easy to fix. You rest, you rehab, yeah. you come back and you play. Mm-hmm. All this other stuff, you kind of almost get overwhelmed by it because the messages from the executive uh, aren't clear, but are also very clear at the same time. Uh, they don't like the team is currently constructed. They don't like who they've got behind the bench as the head coach. They know they need to make changes, but they haven't been able to make those changes. And that's frustrating for them. But there's hope on the horizon that they can make some of these changes. Is that a fair and accurate assessment? I yep. would say so. Yep. And then the biggest question of all of them is, if you guys really want to make this many changes, how do you explain this last offseason? How? Because mm-hmm. there's no good explanation for it as far as I can tell. I don't think there's one as far as you can tell. I'm just curious right now, what's JT Miller's market value? I have no idea. Because if this continues, there has to be major changes. There has to be. It has to be more than, you know, you trade Horvat. That's a big trade for this organization, but there has to be more. You got to find some defensemen. You got to clear some cap space. And then you just got to wonder about the overall core, right? Are these guys up to the task? When I was being, you know, sarcastic and frankly, maybe a little bit mean, asking, like, are you guys a happy team (laughs) or a sad team today? Like, it's kind of. It's exhausting keeping up with whether they're 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 happy coming to the rink or not, right? Like the, the, the and and I don't know. I'm almost I'm almost beyond words for this and 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 then sometimes this is why I'm just like, you know what? Let's try and build a new core. Let's build a new core. Which is because what you this about because this group has already been through so much and you know, there's just so much negativity hanging around this group that maybe you just need to move on and you just need to start again. And that's where we're at right now. Sure. Maybe the Canucks can turn this around, but even then, right? You're kind of like, first of all, it'd be a miracle if they turn this around. Mm-hmm. And then you're right back at that, that position where like, okay, well, why did they turn around? Was it because teams started taking them too lightly? Exactly. Was it because Thatcher Demko started to, to, to save their butts again? I just don't know what they can do in the in the coming months, right? Can they bring in a new head coach? Yeah, I suppose. But even training a guy like Horvat isn't easy in the flat cap environment. It might be easier. Your return might be higher at the trade deadline uh, for a guy like Horvat just because of salary cap reasons, especially if you don't want to take back a bad contract or something along those lines, right? Mm-hmm. It is not easy to make changes, and in a lot of ways, this management group made it even tougher to make changes, especially if one of those changes they want to make is JT Miller. So if, I don't know what they're thinking right now, though. So there's a Canucks game tonight, 7 o'clock, in Seattle, against the Kraken. Are we doing a ticket giveaway today, eh, Doug? Is it tomorrow? No, we're doing one today as well. Beautiful. Now, but it's for it's for the Pittsburgh game. Yes, not, no, I'm I'm aware. We're no, not going to send someone to Seattle. Yeah, yeah, that would oh be that would be yeah. quite the treat, though, <laughs> wouldn't it? Wouldn't <laughs> it be? Uh, here's the thing: 
in spite of everything that we just said over the last 27 minutes and 52 seconds, uh, we are excited about the game tonight. Huh? Huh? We got one tomorrow as well. We're going to preview tonight's Kraken Canucks game from Seattle. We're also going to give away a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks in the second of a back-to-back Friday night, Rogers Arena, 7 o'clock, against, hey, Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins. The way we're going to do the giveaway, best what we learned, hashtag WWL, text the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Put a ticket emoji on the what we learned so that we can filter through and put you in the grand prize draw for a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and Penguins on Friday night. We got a big show ahead. The Hockey Talk rolls on next with David Amber, Sportsnet NHL host. We're going to talk to him about all the matchups tonight. We'll talk about the Canucks and everything else in and around the league. We got a big show ahead. It's a Thursday. We're here for another two and a half hours. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Laddie, is this what happens when you put Dollar Store Lincoln Park into the search bar for generic music? It's what I tried, but I'm not feeling it. I don't agree with this. This is almost uh, a slap in the face, an affront to the Linkheads. Is that what they call Lincoln Park fans? I don't even know. I don't think so. What was the album that you were lauding on Twitter the other day? Hybrid Theory, their, their debut. It was actually the anniversary of its release. I didn't even realize. 20 years. Yeah. Still holds up, eh? It Timeless does. classic. It sure does, Mike. I, I'm sure you agree. Oh, I do. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, it is 635 in the AM. There are a bunch of games tonight in the National Hockey League, including three, count them, three prominent ones with Canadian teams. Edmonton, Chicago, and the early one. Toronto and San Jose in the late one, a 7.30 start. And then most importantly, for the purposes of this radio station, Vancouver and Seattle, 7 o'clock from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. Joining us now to break it all down, our next guest, uh, David Amber, Sportsnet NHL host here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, David. How are you? Good. What's up, fellas? The sun's still coming up in Vancouver, oh. or is it all just doom and gloom? No, no sun. It's the, the start of the season, and then not long after, the torrential downpour. There's a correlation there that I haven't quite worked out, but mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the times are dark in, in Vancouver, to put it mildly. Every guest that we've had on in the last like 48 to 72 hours that knows hockey and knows the NHL asks us the same question off the top, like you... Frank Saravalli, wish. Yeah. It's They're like, all... how are you guys doing? Yeah. And you we... guys doing all right? <laughs> and I imagine that this is the theme when all these national broadcasters and national pundits look at this team. It's like, wow, uh, there's a lot of teams that are struggling in the NHL, but none quite like Vancouver right now. It's like talking to your buddy after his girlfriend just dumped him, and you're like, hey, you know, let's go grab a beer. It'll be okay. And, <laughs> you know, it's kind of that, that feeling. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's not, not much more I can add. You know, it's 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 a real drama playing out in Vancouver, and you know I'm surprised by it. I'm sure a lot of people are surprised by it, and the margins have been so slim. Um, you know, again, it's not just losing the seven games, but it's the fashion of how the Canucks have lost those seven games. You know, I don't have to recount it to your audience, but the the leads that are blowing, and 
it's so funny. And maybe, maybe a, a harbinger of, of, you know, things to come sort of an omen was that very first game versus Edmonton. I think the Canucks had what the three, nothing lead yep. and Quinn Hughes got high stick by Evander Kane was leaking badly. Should have been a four minute penalty. And on that very same play, Hughes was, you know, scrambling around trying to pick up his stick after he you know, was you know, covered in blood and Edmonton scored on the power play to make it, I think a three, one game, or maybe it made it a three, two game. I can't remember the specifics and they lost five to three. And you, you guys remember that play, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes, we sure do. Sure do. It's funny. I'm on a text chain with, with some people at sports and including Elliot Freeman. And I said, Oh, I can't believe they missed that call. That's huge. And it didn't seem, you know, at the time you didn't think it was a game changer because there was still a period and a half to play, whatever. And, you know, Edmonton dominated from that point forward, but had there been a four minute penalty assessed to Kane, you know, Vancouver would, I would imagine, certainly could have capitalized. If nothing else, they could have killed off four more minutes without Mick David and Drysaddle and everyone else pressing them. And might have been a different result. And, you know, it's not to make this about one play, but it's just maybe that was sort of just a sign of what was going to happen in the early season for Vancouver because it's just been one you know, mess after another, unfortunately. Well, it's a good thing to bring up because in the intro, we were talking about, um, you know, what's ailing the team where we get a lot of the, this is when you start getting the non-hockey people and the non-sports people in your life coming up to you and being like, what's up with the Canucks right now? And that's where, <laughs> and so, but the thing is, is you, you try and have an answer. And then I realized this morning that the answer is quite literally everything has gone wrong that could go, go wrong, right? Going right yeah. back to that one yeah. fateful play in the first game and then just go on from there. Uh, special teams, terrible, five on five, not good enough, injuries piling up. And then I thought things really came to a head on Saturday, not even necessarily with the 5-1 loss in the home opener to Buffalo, but in the aftermath. I remember watching the broadcast, and when they said that Rutherford and Shen were going to be on after hours, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. right? Rutherford's going to address the plight of his team, which is in a, mm-hmm. a complete – like toilet bowls drain spin here. And then Shen's going to come on right after Frege and BX and everyone were talking about the incident with JT Miller. And mm-hmm. I don't, I'm sure you watched the Rutherford thing as closely as everybody else did. Curious to get your takeaways from that because it was a, it was a pretty candid series of responses from the president of hockey ops. And that was my, that was my reflection of it as well. It was just, it was candid and, and I hate to, we always want guys to be sincere, candid, be honest, be open, and then they get ripped when they are, you know, and I always feel like as members of the media, shame on us, right? This is what we want. And, you know, kudos to Jim Rutherford. I think he spoke his mind and, you know, some people liked it. Some people didn't like it. I wonder, was that a message to be put through the media to his team, to his coaching staff, or was he just venting because he had seen and, and felt, you know, it's seen enough and felt like he had to react on it. Um, you know, kudos to, to Scott Oak. Uh, you know, he has a great way of disarming his guests. And I think Jim Rutherford, he caught him kind of at the perfect place, perfect time to just sort of say, wow, uh, you know, this is, uh, this isn't acceptable and we're going to have to figure it out. You know, one thing that caught my eye or caught my ear in that interview was when he talked about, you know, training camp wasn't solid. Cause I was like, wow, you, you don't hear that too often. You don't hear guys were like, yeah, we had a we had a bad camp and it sort of let you know bled into a bad start to the season. You just don't hear that very often, and I'm not sure if that's an indictment of his coaching staff. It's, it certainly could be like, hey, these guys weren't prepared and they have continued that trend into the regular season. Um, 
It's a it's a soap opera. I I think After Hours provides that uh, every now and again you get those great moments and those interesting moments and you know I I think Jim Rutherford um, he's not afraid to pull the string. Uh, we've seen that repeatedly during his championship years in Pittsburgh. He's not one of those guys who waits till the trade deadline. He doesn't wait till the last minute. He's not doing the the shopping and the you know Boxing Day shopping. He's out there in November you know, getting his Christmas shopping done. So he could very well be, you know, I think they're going to take a measured approach, but I think they're, you know, making a lot of decisions in, in they want to do it in a measured way. Uh, but I think right now is a really important time for the organization. They're tra- probably saying, what are the foundational pieces? Who's with us moving forward? And, and what are we going to do? You know, who isn't going to be with us? And what are what are the options? So I'm not saying there's going to be a complete fire sale. That's not what I'm implying. I'm just saying I think they're evaluating everything from the top down and realizing like this might be a lost season, uh, even though we're only a few weeks in. Just the math isn't good. And do they feel with their injuries and where the situation they're in? Could they? You know, what could be done to salvage this season? And should they even be trying to salvage this season? maybe they should be thinking about a bigger picture. So I think these are all the things being contemplated by Jim Rutherford and his staff. And I think he just articulated some of those things, you know, on live television, which was, which was pretty uh, dynamic and crazy to see. What do you think about all the comments from Jim Rutherford and, and Patrick Alvine, Canucks management essentially about the head coach, Bruce Boudreaux, because there seem to be a lot of criticisms of the head coach with not very many nice things said about the head coach. And yet, Bruce Boudreaux is still the head coach. Can you recall a situation like this where it seems so obvious that the head coach is not management's guy? Well, it's funny. I mean, the first thing that's so jarring to me, guys, is think about, uh, you know, 10 months ago. Bruce, there it is. I've, I don't remember in all the time I've been in sports uh, a coach being lauded as 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 heavily as Bruce Boudreaux, like being applauded for, you know, turning a team around, you know, we saw Craig Berube, you know, win the cup with St. Louis jumping in midstream in 2019 and taking over a last place team, but there wasn't any, you know, Craig there at his chance or whatever. Everyone gave him a lot of, you know, a lot of accolades, but the whole public sentiment, you know, it was so huge. And for that to have swung, the pendulum have swung so dramatically in just 10 months, it's unbelievable, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the thing that, that just, I, I don't even know, I just, I've never seen that before, mm-hmm. right? Like, Bruce Boudreaux deserved all the roses thrown his way. and Not according to Patrick that. Alvine. Patrick well, Alvine said yesterday, he's like, yeah, he did a good job making the guys happy, but, you know, teams took us lightly, and we had a great goaltender. Like, it seems like it, yeah. almost everything that's said is 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 in a way – discrediting the job that Bruce Boudreaux did. It is a weird dynamic. Yeah, well, behind the veil of all that uh, adulation that was poured on, all the praise that was poured on Bruce Boudreaux, the, the fact of the matter remains that this management team, Rutherford, Alvin, Caston, Gay, Granado, et cetera, et cetera, were all brought in, and it wasn't under, it wasn't with the idea of Bruce Boudreaux being their head coach. I mean, they adopted him as the head coach because he was there in place so maybe this wasn't a master plan i mean we'll never know but maybe maybe that whole management team didn't expect to have that kind of crazy turnaround we're like oh man i guess 
we aren't going to change the coach because, you know, the PR move would be a disaster. And maybe it's more than lightning in a bottle. Let's see what happens. And now things have started out the way they have. And now I'm sure the management team sort of saying, okay, well, who would be, who, who is our fit potentially, you know, who might be uh, the right fit for this team if we want a different team, a, a more structured team or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Cause you heard it was pretty. It was pretty clear they, they felt like there's a lack of structure on some level. It felt you're getting that sense from Jim Rutherford's comments for sure. So um, it's just I've just never seen a swing like that, and that's what struck struck me is just how popular, certainly by the fan base and and the media really how popular Bruce Boudreau was uh, last year, taking that team you know on the cusp of making the playoffs, and how quickly it's fallen. It's it's it's, it's somewhat shocking. I wonder if Sheldon Keefe is kind of happy with the way the Canucks have started because there could be a lot of criticism for him in Toronto and maybe just the Maple Leafs in general. Um, it's weird to say about a team with a winning record, they're 4-3-0, and but they've had some stinkers. You know, they lose to Montreal in the season opener and Sheldon Keefe said that their play was sloppy. They lost to the Arizona Coyotes, which is actually hard to do. Then Sheldon Keefe had some comments about the elite players, which he then had to walk back, and then he had to walk back more comments, and that was weird. The other night in Vegas, they did not look good. They played tonight in San Jose. Uh, what is the feeling, what is the talk around this Maple Leafs team when people, you know, the national media isn't focusing on the Vancouver Canucks if they've got time to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs? <laughs> There's always time to talk about the Leafs, right? Yeah, we, we know, we know. Yeah, yeah no, um... I think you hit it on the head. It's been very listless would be the word I would use, you know, lack of interest on some level. Yeah. They've had some, some injuries. I mean, there are some similarities to the Canucks start, right? Like the Leafs have had some injuries. Their blue line is much maligned and in, in question. Do they have the depth? Do they have the, the, you know, you, you look in, you're in a division with the Victor Hedmans and, you know, Charlie McAvoy, although he's hurt, uh, you know, there's these stud defensemen, uh, in this division and the Leafs have, you know, Morgan Riley's a very good defenseman. Don't get me wrong, but um, I think top to bottom, there's some question marks about that blue line. We saw what a, we saw what a Stanley cup caliber blue line looks like in Colorado and in, in Tampa the previous two years. And, you know, a lot of people are saying the Leafs just don't have that. Um, but what's been sort of surprising and, you know, Sheldon Keith, as you said, had to walk it back. But when he said our elite players haven't been elite, he's not wrong. You know, he's not wrong. I mean, Austin Matthews has one goal. It was a tip-in goal. He's yet to take a shot that's gone in the net. And uh, I, I do I expect that to change? Absolutely. Do I, if you said to me right now you had to bet on Austin Matthews scoring 50 goals, I'd say, sure, no problem. Uh, yeah, he had a rough start last year, injuries and slow start, and, and he scored 60. So I'm not going to worry about him. But it's been a slow start, essentially, for most of their elite players. The blue line has been shaky at best. Matt Murray got injured in, after one game. So there's a, enough question marks around here. And there's even some question marks about Sheldon Keith. Um, you know, there's a lot was made. All talk radio in Toronto yesterday was about uh, Barry Trotz went on a podcast and alluded to the fact, oh, I wouldn't mind coaching possibly in a Canadian uh uh, original six market. I mean, he didn't say the word Toronto, but you can do the math. He's probably not talking about taking over for Martin St. Louis, who's, you know, by all means not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that caused a big, that caused a big firestorm here, guys. And there, there has been some critiques of the Leafs. They're about to go into a three game California uh, road trip. And 
that used to be, you know, the valley of death for NHL teams. That's no longer the case. And I'm sure the expectation is they better come out of there with four or five points. And if they don't, uh, these questions will remain. David, thanks a lot for doing this today, bud. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy all the games tonight. Again, a reminder, it is Edmonton and the Red Hot Chicago Blackhawks to start, followed by the Canucks and Kraken, followed by the Leafs in San Jose for a late one. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it as well. Go Canucks. The Calgary Flames have got to be sitting there feeling pretty good about their blue line. When they look at the blue line in Vancouver, mm-hmm. they look at the blue line in Toronto, and even when they look at the blue line in Edmonton, right? You know, the, it's Edmonton's is better than Vancouver's currently, especially without Quinn Hughes. Um, but I would say that if you're, th- <laughs> you know, if, if they get the goaltending, and that that's a big if, I guess, out of Jack Campbell. If you're looking at that team and wondering, okay, where's their weak spot? I would say it's on the back end. Yeah, it is just so difficult to fix a blue line, and that's why you know when people in here in Vancouver say like, "Well, you didn't fix the you didn't fix the defense." Yeah, it's hard. Every, almost every team is trying to fix the defense, but the Calgary Flames keep hogging all the right shot defensemen. Yeah, no, that's fair. Right? Like yeah. Toronto needs to fix its blue line. It can't. Right, my God! If I hear, you know, like if I see one more tweet about like Justin Hole or you know Rasmus Sandin or Timothy Liljegren, you know, like it's because people are constantly talking about that. And Jake Munson never may never play another game again, right? right. Like they've got right. issues there; they have to address that. Current as currently constructed, like Victor Mete is playing regularly for them. Mm-hmm. And that's nothing against him, but it's just kind of like he wasn't he on waivers at one point. Like they're they're not. It's not a good blue line right now. And Morgan Riley, yeah, he's a good defenseman. Is he ever going to win a Norris? No, he's never going to be really in the conversation to win a Norris. Right. I mean, the, the situations are kind of different. Part of the reason that Toronto is in this situation is because of their salary cap disparity, where they just don't have the money to go out and probably address the issues and the position like they want. Uh, Edmonton, you know, it's funny. We talk about all these other teams. The one thing that they have in common that Vancouver doesn't is that they actually tried to do some things. They moved some things around. Do you not think that the Canucks tried to improve the defense this summer? I'm sure they tried very hard to improve the defense. let Let me rephrase. Tried with some outcome. Right? I mean, say what you will about Edmonton not necessarily acquiring someone, but getting Duncan Keith to retire. And I'm sure that wasn't a, all a Duncan Keith decision. I'm sure the, the Oilers front office knew that it benefited them. That opened up a lot of things for them that made them better. Plain and simple. Okay? Toronto, say what you will, but at least there was an effort and then a resulting execution where they we're going to try some things. We're going to bring some new guys in. Just the visual, the optics of bringing back a blue line almost completely untouched. Actually, completely untouched except for Pullman being healthy. And what happened there, lo and behold, uh, it's, I don't want to make light of the situation, but Tucker Pullman is not healthy and he's back on LTIR. So I have time for people that are visibly and vocally frustrated with the lack of execution. Cause you don't get paid to try, you get but this paid is, to do. But this has been a problem that's been bound to rear its ugly head. If you don't address for, it for years now in this organization. And you know, people it got to the point where you know, people would make fun of me or rip me as like, bruh, talk about the right side of the defense again. Well, there's a reason. Like, you have to have a deep defense if you want to be a good team. 
Look at the 94 team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals. Don't you think the additions of Jeff Brown and Brett Hedekin might have helped that defense? Yeah, I think they did. But it was easier to make those type of trades before the salary cap. 2011, again, I go back to this. They had two really solid pairs to the point that Sammy Sallow was often on the third pair. Because you had BX and Hamhuse together and Edler and Erhoff together. It is hard to build a blue line, but I do believe that's where you have to start. I would rather have a solid blue line with a very so-so forward group compared with a solid forward group and a very questionable blue line. It's why Nashville used to have success. They could never quite get over the top because they didn't have the forwards. But their defense was good, and you can win a lot of games. You can win some 2-1 games. You can you, you can win games when your defense is good. And right now, go look at the pending unrestricted free agents for next season. If you want to rank them in terms of time on ice, you're talking about Shane Gostisbehere, John Klingberg, Artem Zub, and those are the best ones. Mm-hmm. Matt Dumba, maybe, but you're going to overpay for Matt Dumba. Did you watch Matt Dumba when the Canucks played the Wild? He let Bo Horvat go right past him to score a tap-in. He's not the answer. He's almost 32 as well. I mean, not 32. Right. He's almost 30 as well. So is Klingberg. So is Gostas Bear. Those aren't the type of guys that's going to turn this defense around. They need to, and Jim Rutherford has said this. He's admitted it. The most likely thing is a trade. Well, then make a trade. Not easy. Not well, easy, though. Not, not easy. easy. If we're going to say there, that, if we're going to give them credit there, and say that rebuilding the defense isn't easy, then trying to make a trade in this current climate of that magnitude isn't easy. Either. It's a tough situation, and it's because they have not drafted and developed enough defensemen. Sure, but I here's the thing. I don't want this to devolve into uh, – this is Benning's fault. This is Rutherford's fault. I think everyone's got equal stakes in this, but I'll say this. Not um, equal blame. Well, you inherit something. Not equal blame. You inherit something, and then you double down on something. Those are all decisions that individuals made that aren't working out right now, right? I just don't want to absolve the current regime for... Oh, we're the, not absolving the current that's regime. That's kind of the point I was We are to not absolving the current regime, especially if this JT Miller contract turns into an anchor. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a big, big fundamental flaw if that's what happens. That's a mistake. And that is 100% on the guys in charge right now. Uh, we got a lot more to get into on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, including an open segment. Yay, open segments. Uh, if you want to weigh in on anything that we've talked about over the first hour of the program, or if you want us to jump off on a particular topic, text to 650-650. That is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the Smalt alternative. Also, get your What We Learns in with a ticket emoji to win a pair of seats to go see the Canucks and Penguins on Friday night at Rogers Arena. Uh, 7.30, we're going to talk to Jeff Baker from the Seattle Times. He is the crack and beat writer. We're going to talk to him about tonight's opponent. Then at 8, we are going to talk... Who are we talking to at 8 again? Brandon Bachelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, who's going to be on the call for the game tonight. So lots of Canucks talk still to come, but an open segment up next. And again... 8.30 giveaway for the pair of tickets to go see the Canucks on Friday. Lots more to get to. Don't go anywhere. Halford, Bruff, Sportsnet, 650.